Well, it's kind of the advice that uh, Willie Nelson once gave me. Uh, he said, if you're going to have sex with an animal, always make it a horse. Because that way, if things don't work out, at least you know you've got a ride home. Welcome, everyone, to the Gravity Beard Podcast. We're recording today in Studio A. Thank you, as always, to our listeners. We appreciate your continued support. Okay, welcome to the show, everyone. Let's begin. I'm joined today by a dear friend of mine. He's been a regular on the show since the beginning. Ivan, welcome back. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, thanks for being here. I don't know about you, but I'm very excited about today's show. Me too. <laughs> you can hardly contain yourself. <laughs> now, you're not the guest today, but we do have one. He's easily the most famous person we've ever had on the show. He's been in entertainment for over 50 years. He's, I think you'd agree he's an absolute legend. Absolute. And in his, particularly in his mind. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything else. Why don't we just give him a call? Let's do it. Okay, so Ivan, I mean no disrespect to Jonathan Goldsmith, but I contend that on our phone line right now is the real most interesting man in the world. Let's welcome today's guest, Kinky Friedman. Welcome, Kinky. Kinky, how are you? Pleasure to be here. Don't put me up on a pedestal now. Come on. <laughs> hey, you, you've, you've spent decades already doing that yourself, so that's not my doing. Oh, yeah. With, with the things that you've accomplished. No, I'm... I don't know. I have a. I am a defender of strays, basically. Yeah, I can appreciate that. All right. Well, I, either way, thank you very much for being here today. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. So your birthday is four weeks from today. Besides appearing on this show, how do you plan to celebrate? Well, I got to figure that out. I'd like to be in Vegas. Okay. Because I'm a slot addict. Uh, I even have my own executive casino host. Nice, nice. Which shows you how big a loser I am. <laughs> um, and the guy is older than me. Wow. He's terrific. I'd like to have a, a two of whatever he's on. He's got, uh, he, he is older, but he's got a lot more energy than anybody in the casino. Interesting. And uh, his name is Mike Sherrigan, and he is an Armenian from Detroit. Uh, but he, uh, he he is a terrific, and he will tell you really complimentary things about me in terms of uh, my slot play. You know, like uh, Kinky is a you know he's a ferocious player. He's just he he's as if I mean all the as if you know really it's like complimenting a monkey uh, fucking a jukebox. <laughs> uh, it's ridiculous. I mean, here I am. I'm pushing this button and losing twenty five dollars every time I push it. You know, <laughs> and uh, and I'm a genius. You know, I'm really. Uh, and God knows what I owe the flamingo. I, mean, I don't owe him, but what I've lost there. I think I've fulfilled the definition of a, uh, a gypsy's definition of a millionaire. He's <laughs> a man who's who has spent a million dollars. So you're you're helping the you're helping the flamingo pay their bills. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, but it's very meditational, and uh, it's just, a, you know, it's the worst odds you can get in the, in the casino is playing the slots, I mean, at any place. And it's kind of like a, 
the writer Damon Runyon uh, once said, all of life is six to five against. <laughs> so everything you do is six to five against. Everything that comes up fairly good. You're really lucky if it's uh, uh, if you win. Uh, but it is kind of like taking a walk with destiny, the slots. There's something about it, you know, that's immutable. You can't change it. And uh, you can just decide where you're going to be and when. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and uh, you know, there's all kinds of people. I mean, I think the real geniuses gravitate to the slots. Yes, you could play blackjack and probably make, you'd, have, you'd do much better. Or poker, which I have no interest in. That's the mark of the true gambling addict, because he's very focused on one thing, and that's me, the slots. All right, well, I can appreciate that. Have you ever read your Wikipedia page? No. Because I'd like Should to I read. Check? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't see anything on there that was that was uh, alarming. But I did want to read how you're described on there and see if you agree. Okay. So, so Wikipedia says describes you as an American singer, songwriter, novelist, humorist, politician, and former columnist for Texas Monthly, who styles himself in the mold of popular American satirist Will Rogers and Mark Twain. Is that accurate? I didn't hear a defender of strays in there, but I guess animal activist it says or what? Well, he mentions that in the article, just not in just not in the description at the top of the article. Well, it's kind of the advice that uh, Willie Nelson once gave me. Uh, he said, "If you're going to have sex with an animal, always make it a horse, because that way, if things don't work out, at least you know you've got a ride home." <laughs> <laughs> And it served me well in uh, politics as in life. Yeah, it sounds like it would. Well, mm -hmm. you were born in Chicago, but at a very young age, your family moved to a ranch in Central Texas. That's a pretty dramatic change. What was behind that decision? Well, uh, I moved to Texas. Uh, I couldn't find work in Chicago when I was one, one years old. <laughs> as, as a toddler? <laughs> yeah, so I moved to Texas. Uh, I could see that. Where I haven't worked since. <laughs> Pretty much the story. Um, you grew up in Austin. What was your childhood like? Did you have any brothers and sisters? Well, I, I grew up in Houston and then uh, moved to Austin, like around high school time. Okay. And do you have any siblings? Yeah. I've got a brother in uh, Maryland who's a psychologist. Should probably uh, be giving me a checkup from the neck up any time now. <laughs> uh, and I've got a uh, sister who travels the world with the State Department. Interesting. And uh, been in Afghanistan for about four years, but she's out now. So so we'll see. Uh, yeah, so that's it. That's what's left. I, I come from a small, ill-tempered family. <laughs> Give me some ideas, some memories, just from your early childhood. Well, I, I can still... Something about... Uh, trolleys or something in uh, in Chicago. I remember them and the radiators and the kind of just the smell of the place. The whole thing was I mean that's going back a long time. Um, when I was about seven I was campaigning for Adlai Stevenson in, uh, in Houston, Texas. I, where he was not very popular. And how did you stumble upon that opportunity? 
And, or, or, how did or, what? Or, well, I, was, I asked how did you stumble across that opportunity, but perhaps a better question is how does a seven-year-old get involved in something like that? I don't know. I think uh, my dad was pretty um, active. Both my folks were politically, I guess. My dad would take me to uh, to events, whether it was uh, Arville Faubus or, uh, uh, you know, whether it was a real right-wing uh, uh, segregationist or, or not, or somebody. In fact, we went to the Houston train station to see uh, Adlai Stevenson, and there were about 50,000 people there, every Democrat in the area. And then we went to see Eisenhower. He had 50,000 people there. So really it's, <clears throat> I think Stevenson may have been uh, one of the better people. I know uh, James Garner uh, from uh, the Rockford Files. Uh, I've interviewed him a couple times. Oh, wow. Years ago. And uh, he was a big believer that uh, the world might have been a different place if Adlai Stevenson had beaten Eisenhower. That Stevenson was the closest thing we've had to a statesman in the White House. Um, I don't know that we need a statesman. I mean, we're we are in uh, we're living in a reality world, and why not have a reality star as, as president? That yeah. seems logical. Yeah, maybe so. And uh, and I also think Billy Joe Shaver is correct when he told me that uh, he says, "Remember, Jesus rode in on a jackass," <laughs> and uh, nobody. It was a little bit like uh, Davy Crockett and Willie Nelson when they left Tennessee for Texas. Uh, I think the people, I think their detractors all said, well, we'll never hear from that guy again. Well, that's the last we'll hear him. That's what they thought in 71 when Willie left Nashville for Texas. And uh, they were wrong. I mean, they, well, I mean, that wasn't the first time, the only time they were wrong. They were wrong with Hank Williams. Arguably the two biggest country stars were both Nashville-based, Billy and Hank Williams, and they they couldn't deal with either one of them. Nashville couldn't. Not that they were easy to deal with, but they certainly certainly slipped through Nashville's fingers. Probably because Nashville is... You know, was was famous not only for music but also for insurance and uh, by printing Bibles. So they're not it's not a real progressive place. And then the music coming out of the day reflects that. Yeah, I would say so too. I want to touch on a couple things uh, going back to your childhood. You have a brilliant and intellectual mind. In fact, you were an accomplished chess player at a very young age. Yeah, I think I peaked at about, uh, I don't know if I was a eight or nine, maybe even seven, but I, I think it, I, I played a, uh, Samuel Roshevsky was the grandmaster of the world, and he uh, came through Houston and played about 50 people simultaneously in a big uh, circle jerk, you know, kind of a, I don't know what they had, a table set up. He was in the middle. He walked around and made the moves. And, uh, I mean, people were trying to cheat on him and so forth. Uh, and uh, he beat everybody, of course. And uh, 
And then he told my dad later, I was the only child there, and everybody else was an adult. And uh, he told my dad that um, he's sorry he had to beat his kid. He said, but but he has to be very careful because he will, he will lose a match or two every year when he plays as much as he does. But if he lost to a nine-year-old, he said that would be headlines. That would be the end of his career. And so uh, I take this very seriously. But it was a... Pretty much uh, downhill from there. Uh, being, a, being a child prodigy is not a good thing. Uh, I mean, for adulthood, it's just difficult transition. So was was that a difficult transition for you? No, one could argue that uh, that being a, you know, I mean, I don't really know how what you would call me at this point career wise. Um, but there, you know, there's a difference. There's a, a few people in Texas that are, um, folk heroes and there's a whole lot that are kind of celebrity types or musical types or outlaw types. And it's kind of sad. The outlaw thing, my friend Hazel Smith in Nashville is the one who gave them their name, outlaws in country music. And they, now they all sound the same pretty much. And, uh, I mean, maybe there's only so much, you know, like today, uh, today music is very much like, uh, Hollywood or politics. I mean, the whole, the whole systems seem to have, uh, deteriorated like, uh, like technology. Technology is getting better and better. And it's the people who are deteriorating. So we've we've all become homogenized and uh, sanitized and trivialized. And what do you think the main cause of that is? Part of it is something that our last great states statesman from Texas, uh, Barbara Jordan, uh, was talking about a long time ago, which is political correctness, a term popularized by Joseph Stalin. That political correctness has done its work. And uh, everybody's kind of looking over their shoulder. So you won't see a on any comedian. You won't see a spontaneous uh, rap about anything. Uh, well, it really kills the really gifted comedians. Um, it's uh, now I have a song of they ain't making Jews like Jesus anymore, <laughs> which has every kind of racial slur in in the song, and the one that's often and in fact, I recorded it in Nashville in uh, about 75. Uh, and it features, uh, they ain't making Jews like Jesus anymore, features uh, Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, and Tom Paul Glazer all singing backup on the thing. And uh, because it has a word in it several times, uh, as a, uh, I may be the only white person that can, uh, doesn't care, you know, can have the word in a song. And that is one of the things I think that, uh, that when I ran for office, I was very surprised because Trump hadn't happened yet. And uh, that was 19, what? No, that was 2006, 2005, right? 2005, 2006, when they started calling me a racist. And, of course, I would get 
off track on that. It really threw me for a loop at first because I was the only candidate running for anything in Texas that really has any kind of civil rights record. I mean, the stuff I was doing, you know, like picketing the Rexall drugstore on the drag in Austin uh, for because they wouldn't cash checks for black students. And, um, and, and the Plantation Restaurant, one of my favorite hangouts. That was segregated. So we desegregated it just by, and I love the place. I mean, I felt bittersweet about the whole thing, but uh, we, uh, the, the whole campaign was just to come in and just drink coffee all night, which is a 24-hour place. And, um, and we did that, and then eventually broke them, and they, so that was the Plantation Restaurant on 19th Street in Austin, which Plantation is not there anymore, and 19th Street is now called Martin Luther King Boulevard. So uh, uh, some of that was good. Some of that, that's real progress. That's good, because Martin Luther King belongs with that group of uh, of real civil rights leaders of mankind. Uh, Nelson Mandela is probably in there, and, and uh, Jesus, and and Gandhi, I'd say, that, that group. And if you look at the political landscape of uh, America or Africa right now, you don't see any little Nelson Mandela springing up. And uh, that's too bad for us that we don't have somebody like that. I'd like to ask you a question, but I don't want to do it in my words. I'd rather do it in yours. So just regarding your style over the years, I don't know if you would use the word edgy or what, what, word, would, what word would you use? Well, I think you understand what I'm getting at. I just, I'd rather not use a word that, yeah. you, that you wouldn't use. Well, I, I, uh, I like to be as much of a truth teller as I can be. Um, you know what? Well, see, I, I admire uh, Willie Nelson for. If you go to see a Willie Nelson show, you won't know what side he's on. Normally, now I don't know with his his uh, support for Beto. Of course, Willie has never backed a winner, including me. I mean, he <laughs> supported me in campaign, and he even had a great campaign slogan for me when I ran for governor, which was. Criticize him all you want. Just don't circumcise him anymore. <laughs> Which was good. And, of course, I promised to reduce the speed limits to 54.95. Uh, and then uh, I guess that's it. I ran for governor. And then I ran for ag commissioner several years later with the slogan, No Cow Left Behind. <laughs> and uh, that... Uh, I, I, I mean, it would seem to me that in a song, uh, that if you listen to the song, of course, all the racial slurs make sense. It's about a thing incident that happened to me in a bar where I met this really bigoted guy. And it's a actually quite a progressive song. And, and witness to that is that it's popular all over the world. When I play Australia or Europe, uh, that's one of their favorites. And... Uh, as well as America these days, but I mean that's a fluke. That's an exception. I mean, you, yeah, it's what what political correctness has done is uh, is terrible to the culture. And you couple that with a cultural ADD, which we have now. So if I have a song that I want to play for Ivan Edelman. Um, 
he won't be able to listen to the whole song. I mean, if, if I give it here, listen to this demo, this record that we made, he's not used to listening to a whole song, and nobody's used to listening to a whole record, to an album. I mean, that's... These are, I'm writing songs for the lonely beekeeper, you know, for the guy who runs the lighthouse. <laughs> who has a little more uh, time. Yeah, well, we just don't... You know, I mean, when a record exec listens to a record these days, he only listens to the first 15 seconds of every song. Now, now the pendulum is swinging back from Nashville, which is now these horrible kind of a, a, a whorehouse, a, a publishing whorehouse, uh, where songs are written by committee, and they're written as a project. Like I would tell you guys, Chris, Ivan, Let's write a song. There's a new TV show that's going on on Netflix, and they need a something about uh, a tailgating party, you know, that, and it has to be uh, sound a little bit like uh, Shel Silverstein and and Roger Miller. Well, that wouldn't be any good because most people don't even know who Shel or Roger are now, although they were two of the most brilliant songwriters to uh, you know to ever come along, and. Um, so that's political aid. It's cultural ADD in our lives. And uh, people don't remember no matter what it is. They will not remember it, uh, you know, a few hours or days or weeks later. So that's why with the cable system as it is, with great desire for more news, um, if you do something really bad, you can usually ride it out. Um uh, but culturally speaking, nothing seems to sink in. And it also happens in music, where Willie's album, uh, Band of Brothers, uh, went to number one on the charts. And the, the following week, you couldn't find it on the charts. I mean, it's just you get up there once for about a week, and it's over. So, uh, yeah, so, so that's cultural ADD, and it forces us to kind of... Uh, not to do what I did with uh, my latest CD, Circus of Life, which we broke every rule you could, deliberately. And uh, one of them is you don't put 12 songs on a record. We did. And we, they're also tragic songs. Everything on the record is, is tragic. Not that there aren't, isn't some upbeat, uh, well, there's one kind of Woody Guthrie-style song named Copper Love. Um that's upbeat, but uh, still tragic uh, in, in theme. So you usually don't do that because, first of all, people are depressed enough to start with. But, uh, you know, it, 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 the record has done it extremely well in terms of people downloading it and in terms of it, you know, whatever else they do. I'm not a big believer that that's going to be very much of a financial pleasure for the kinkster, uh, <laughs> all the downloads and all this stuff, but, but maybe it will. But it's certainly the reviews have been stellar. And um, and the song Jesus in Pajamas uh, has really connected with a lot of people around the world. And uh, that song is a song written by one Jew about another Jew. It's a true story. And that happened to me in Dallas uh, about a year and a half ago. And the incident 
was sparked entirely by a late-night phone call I got from my psychiatrist, Willie Nelson. <laughs> and uh, I was here at the ranch watching Matlock at 3 o'clock in the morning. And Willie calls and says, what are you doing, Kinky? And I said, I'm watching Matlock. And uh, Willie says, so, well, that's a sure sign of depression. <laughs> said, Turn him off, Kinky. Turn Matlock off and start writing. So now at that time, I hadn't written country songs or songs in 50 years, 40 years, 40 years. And uh, so something really appealed to me, really touched me about, you know, when an older guy tries to encourage somebody a little bit younger than him. Uh, and, of course, I am now 73, though I read at the 75-year-old level. <laughs> you must be so proud. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I got inspired by Willie on that, that he would take the time sure. at his age to help somebody else, to try to encourage them. And I wrote the 12 songs in, in about a month, which is almost unheard of. So I was very miserable, and that's the first step if you want to be a songwriter or a novelist or an artist of any kind. you got to be miserable. So I fight happiness at every turn, at every corner. <laughs> you just ward it off with everything you have. got to be miserable. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you, have, you have no use for it. <laughs> and, and you can look at the great ones. You know, they all suffered. Uh, guys like Jesus regarded himself as a failure on the cross. I mean, he wasn't saying it's all working out. Like a Christian take is, uh, Jesus knew God was coming to save him and that he would save the world. And all. Well, that's, a, you know, he didn't think that. The crowd was all cheering for Barabbas, the, 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 one of the thieves that was also on the, on the cross. And uh, the crowd uh, picked Barabbas. They said, free Barabbas, kill Jesus. And they've been saying that ever since. So, uh, and then you got guys like Van Gogh, who was just trying to pay the rent, who couldn't sell one of his paintings. Well, he did sell one to his brother in his whole career. That was it. And he died in a sanitarium with just a stray cat as his uh, friend. Of course, Mark Twain says, if I, if I find a man who loves cats, he is my friend, without further introduction. So uh, cats are good, dogs are good, horses are good. Um, and um, and it's good to be a songwriter if you want to. You know, I've been uh, miserable for about 73 years, but things are starting <laughs> to look up now. I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that for you. No, yeah. Well, let me ask you this, what seems like an obvious question. Why did you go 40 years without writing any new material? Well, I was writing books. I was writing prose, and I was in politics, and I was in love, and I was doing other things like that. Living life. Uh, and I was convinced I, was, I wasn't going anywhere as a songwriter. That I'd written a lot of great songs that uh, had slipped through the fingers of, of America. And uh, now I realize that there are many, many Americas out there, and there's a hell of a lot of people. Even though Justin Bieber may sell a million records, or Miley Cyrus or somebody else, um, they are not necessarily important. Barry Manilow makes more money than God. And uh, I would say he's one of that group that, that manages to be important 
without being significant. So uh, let me finish one anecdote quickly, and then we'll move on to to Germany. Uh, as you know, the Germans are my second favorite people, and uh, my first is everybody else. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> Even the Germans like that joke. Uh, uh, so anyway, though, the one point I was making there is. When I finished writing those 12 songs last year, I called Willie and told him about it. I'd written these songs. Willie said, well, send them to me. Send them out. Willie was in Hawaii. And uh, then I said, Willie, uh, how are you doing, man? I've been hearing all these reports that you're not well. How are you feeling? And Willie says, uh, well, you know, a little up, a little down, the usual. And then he said, by the way, Kinky, what channel is Matlock on? <laughs> Which was a great line, and I realized later that was a joke for me. For just one person in the universe would understand that. Sure. And now I've been yapping about it a lot, so I think a lot of people know about what channel is Matlock on. But uh, uh, now, now over quickly to Germany. Um, I found that I'm becoming the new David Hasselhoff. Wow. Very popular there with young people. Well, well, now, hang on a second, because because there's some ways when, when that may be good. There's some other other ways that if you're like David Hasselhoff, that's not a good thing. No, it's not a good sign. <laughs> yeah, that might, be, that might mean you're trending in a much worse direction than you even were before. Well, what's, what's nice about the, about the Germans, well, first of all, uh, when you're drawing young people in an audience... And they know all your songs. I mean, all of them—the obscure songs—and they know they know all the mystery novels and the books that have been translated into German. You got a really good audience there—an audience that I was very angry at when I first played Europe. And when I played Germany, places like Munich and Nuremberg—it's exactly like, you know, dancing around on a Native American burial ground. I mean, it's a bad thing. And then I started realizing that these kids are better audiences than uh, the American audiences. And these kids are not just coming to see what's going on. Uh, they really, really have a, a certain spiritual linkage to me. None of them being around when World War II went down. None of them could be said to be in, in any way involved with that. But all of them knowing that if if we... We, meaning me and the mouse in my pocket, if we were to go to Ancestry.com, I mean, I might find out that I've got an ancestor who was a defender of the Alamo. I mean, I might find out some really good stuff. Same with you guys. But the German kids know what they would find, and they know it wouldn't be a very pretty picture, what their good old grandfather did. So, uh, so they look to America. And the America they look to is very interesting, and I've finally figured this out. Now, this is true to a lesser degree in other parts of Europe, but definitely true in Germany. And uh, they, how to say this, they think that the people who didn't get into the mainstream are the significant ones. They're the ones who they love and admire and respect. That's and I'm talking about people that you guys may never have heard of. Uh, uh, Warren Zevon, uh, Graham Parsons, uh, Shel Silverstein, um, 
Hunter Thompson, Tom Waits, Iggy Pop, uh, people like that. That uh, Roger Miller is another one. Uh, why? Why do you uh, think they have that perspective? Well, well, um, that was my question. Why is it that they they seem to like oh Abby Hoffman, who's been forgotten in America, is kind of a hero there. Uh, and there's a new book out uh, about Abby and me and a whole bunch of that Hunter Thompson and all these guys. Well, and, and the reason I asked the question well, is because the, I... the book is called "The Crazy Never Die," uh, but it's only written in German at the moment. I don't know if it's been translated yet. So go ahead, Chris. Well, I'm interested in, in hearing you explain the answer to the question because I'm also a bit of a contrarian. I've, <clears throat> I find myself doing the same things, looking beyond the mainstream to the more interesting, the more creative, the things that people are overlooking. So, so this particular anecdote is very, very curious to me. Well, well, here's what I figured out. Uh, two things about the German audiences. One, as I say, the old folks are not there. They're still, they still tie their shoes with little Nazis. But the young kids are there, and they sell out the shows. And um, two things are memorable about them, um, at least. One, they, they're very emotional. So when I play a song like the Ballad of Ira Hayes about the, the Pima Indian who helped raise the flag after the Battle of Iwo Jima and uh, had a, came back a hero and became a real drunk and uh, very sad ending to his life, uh, they will weep. They cry. You can actually see, I see a healthy young guy sitting out there and he's in tears. He's, that also for the song Ride em, Jew Boy and also for Sold American for three at least. Very emotional. And uh, and the other thing is, there's something in common that the American artists that they revere uh, in other words, they don't care about Bill Gates or Garth Brooks. They don't think that is really uh, uh, spiritually significant. They like the people who stirred the pot, who didn't quite make it, maybe, but who stirred the pot and the troublemakers. And they think that that group of people, the ones outside the mainstream, are the ones who made America great. And I really think they're onto something. So, uh, I, I mean, I, I ID heavily with, uh, with German young people today. And if they, you know, if, if their hero is Towns Van Zandt, you know, or something like that, that, that's a good thing. So how long did it take you to get over the shock that a, a 73-year-old Jewish entertainer would identify with the newest generation of, of Germans, of German kids? Well... They look like Hitler youth, you know. If you just if you just look at some of them, right? But uh, but they're not. And uh, and 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 the other thing is a sense of humor. I mean, here I am. I'm reading a story to them from uh, my book, uh, Heroes of a Texas Childhood, about my dad's thirty fifth mission over Germany in a B twenty four as a navigator. And uh, that story draws tears, and well, it should. Uh, because those guys, you know, you know, the motto of America during World War II was, we're all in this together. And that is, unfortunately, a sentiment that has been lost in this country. 
I'd even say that it's almost we're in a state right now where it's almost the exact opposite of that. Well, you you just you just have to be really careful. Even I like I, I like to tell something that's that's funny. I've got some funny uh, medical jokes that uh, Willie has told me that are really funny, and sometimes they go over, sometimes they don't, and then. Of course, we're, Willie and I are in very different pages politically. I think the only guy we both supported was uh, Bernie. And uh, I jumped off the bandwagon fairly quickly, the Bernie bandwagon, but Willie stayed with him right to the bitter end. But uh, Bernie, uh, uh, the reason I liked him was because I thought that if Bernie Sanders could win, if he could actually win, which he almost did, that uh, it would uh, it would be a very important milestone in Jewish history because it would be the first time a Jewish family ever moved into a place a black family had moved out of. (laughs) Now that's a joke, you know, in today's world, I don't know, would you tell that, would you not? But it does seem to go over well because there's a little bit of truth there. It seems like maybe you and Mel Brooks maybe occupy a similar space. He may not be able to get away today with some of the things that he that he was successful with decades ago. Well, I uh, think Willie is a. I think he's my psychiatrist. I mean, he's really been uh, been helpful, and uh, he uh, he said some great things when I lost the election. He said, uh, "Fortunately, we're not in control." It's <laughs> a good line. Another one he had was, uh, "Oh yeah." We're not happy until you're not happy. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and what did he say about? Uh, oh yeah, if you fail, if you fail at something long enough, you become a legend. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, yeah, I think we're on different political pages again. Uh, believe me. Uh, but you couldn't tell that well. And he's. He's campaigning now, so you can tell. But if he's not campaigning specifically for someone, uh, you would never know if he's to the left or the right. As it happens, he's about as far left as you can go. And how far left are you? I'm not far left at all. I follow the Frank Sinatra curve. I started out uh, picketing for civil rights, as many Jews did. Um and a lot of good little Christians stayed in their churches when uh, Abby Hoffman and Jerry Rubin and all kinds of uh, Jewish people, Goodman, Turner, and, and Cheney, uh, were killed uh, in the civil rights movement. But uh, that was a real, you know, that was a real deal. That wasn't uh, what what's the, that that wasn't Me Too, you know. I mean, uh, Me Too has rapidly turned into just. Uh, I don't know, but not a good thing. Uh, and then you got people like you know, it's hard to figure this stuff. Like, uh, like, like Bill Cosby. I've always said that uh, longevity has ruined as many men as it's made. And that was true of Bill Cosby. If he died ten years ago, he'd be a national hero. Fifteen years ago, would really have made him a star, superstar. But. Uh, Sometimes you go out, you slip on a banana peel, and that's the way you go out. And for me, it's 73 to be out on the road playing shows and now booking another tour of Europe. You almost want to play Europe because it's uh, it's a very exhilarating thing. I mean, uh, 
uh, it's not just Germany. It's uh, I mean, I play all over Europe, all the Scandinavian countries, and England, Ireland, Scotland, and so forth. And it's uh, just a different take. I think it's a hipper audience. I think we live too close to the pyramids, you know, to realize how beautiful we are. Where would you live if you couldn't live in where you live now? I live in Vegas, <laughs> but that would probably not be best foot forward. <laughs> probably whole millions, you know, like Red Fox or uh, uh, who's the one that did Midnight Train to uh, Georgia? Gladys Knight. Gladys Knight, right. Gladys Knight lost everything there, yeah. But what if you had to live outside the United States? Well, uh, off the mainland, I would guess I'd live in uh, Hawaii. I like Samoa a lot. I've stopped over there. Um, and I like Australia. Okay. What about New Zealand? Uh, New Zealand is uh, like turning the clock back about 100 years. <laughs> it's a little boring. I see. But they do have a lot of sheep if uh, <laughs> want to be hosing sheep. You know, it's the song, Proud to be an Asshole from El Paso goes. Oh, I was going to say one more thing, uh, not to obsess about the Germans, but uh, but they, the young people, another thing I like about them is they've got a really good sense of humor. And uh, we usually think of Germans not having a sense of humor. But the youngsters do. And uh, evidence of that, on the last tour, my road manager there was a German kid, must have been in his mid-20s or so. And uh, he uh, uh, he was funnier than hell, really witty guy. And uh, so on the, we were almost at the end of the tour. We were in Hamburg, and uh, we were supposed to play Paris the next night. This is a couple of years back. And anyway, so, so I asked him, how far is it from uh, Hamburg to Paris? And he said, oh, it's probably about a five-day march. <laughs> that was pretty good for the kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's not bad. That's not bad. And, uh, the most enlightening thing about Europe: get on the train in Austria. In thirty minutes' time, you'll pass Mozart's grave, the Mozart's birthplace, Hitler's birthplace, and Arnold Schwarzenegger's birthplace. What I like to call the evolution of man. <laughs> <laughs> so it's. Um, I mean, the, the career is weird because when I'm in Australia, I find that any literate country, people are bringing more books to be signed than they are CDs sometimes. So I always tell them I will sign anything but bad legislation. <laughs> sign all this stuff. Uh, but they're, they're great audiences. And uh, America is a little, uh, well, the further I get away from Texas, the better I seem to do. But uh, that's not true. Texans love the Kingster, and I love them, and they know it. Recently, I was on a plane in Texas, and there was a there was a kid sitting next. Well, I mean, he might have been a forty-seven year old man. I don't know, but a a guy sitting next to me. And uh, at one point, I turned to the guy and I said, uh, "You know." I can't fucking believe it. I'm 73 years old. And the guy said, well, my dad has just turned 73. And he's wearing a bikini. Now, I thought this was interesting enough to keep the conversation going with the guy. <laughs> right. And so I, I did, and I came to find out what it was that, that he had actually said. And what it actually said is my dad 
has just turned 73, and he's moving to McKinney. (laughs) (laughs) That's not the same thing. That's why I'm not buying uh, uh, earplugs. What do you call those things? Hearing Um, aid. Hearing aid, yeah. Well, anytime you're in a good conversation, you run the risk of running out of time, and that's exactly what's happened today. Kinky, I know we have plenty more to talk about. Do you mind coming back for another episode? Sure, why the hell not? Excellent, thank you. Listeners, please plan to join us next time for the conclusion of our time with the legendary Kinky Friedman. Let's finish up with some credits. We have a very fun Facebook group for our show, and we'd love for you to join us there. Just search The Gravity Beard Interns. Find us on Twitter by searching at The Gravity Beard. We are proud members of the Podfix Network. It's a terrific lineup of shows. Go to podfixnetwork.com for more details or search at Podfix on Twitter. Also, please check out Podfix Presents. It's a podcast from the collective minds of the Podfix Network. Chris Brayton from More Gooder Than and me are in the middle of our weekly NFL recap show. Listen to it on Apple Podcasts or any other podcatcher you choose. If you choose to support the show financially, you can do so in three ways. Just search Gravity Beard, all one word, at patreon.com or Venmo. Or search our email address, gravitybeard at gmail.com on PayPal. The music on the show is by Silent Partner. You can find them in the YouTube audio library. For my good friend Ivan, I'm your host, Toph. You've been listening to Gravity Beard. It's what your ears will want to be listening to. Adios. like it.